This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To start your free 14-day trial, visit shopify.com. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. On the last episode, we heard from Compact Flip Flops and how they used PR to eventually get on Shark Tank. On today's episode, you'll learn from a B2B entrepreneur that sells his services through Shopify. In this episode, you'll learn how to use Shopify to collect payments as a service provider, why cash is king over profits and revenue, and where you should look to improve your business's cash flow. Today, I'm joined by Jeff Graham from CivilEstimator.com. Civil Estimator is a B2B business and is one of the most well-known and respected freelance civil estimating services and was started in 2008 and based out of Abbotsford, British Columbia. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for having me, Felix. So cool. So tell us a little bit more about your store because you're the first uh, guest I think is exclusively selling directly to businesses um, and your entire uh, web presence is you know focused on selling to other businesses. So tell us a little bit more about your store slash service and, and exact, what exactly do you guys do? Yeah, so our company offers freelance estimating services t- primarily to excavating companies. Uh, the way that works is... Uh, when, when a job goes out to tender, they'll need to know very specific information about, about that job before they bid it. So they'll need to know how much topsoil needs to be taken off, how much gravel needs to kind of go back on site, and uh, even things like areas of concrete and asphalt and pipe and that sort of thing. So it's a, it's a very niche service that we provide, but also a, a very necessary one. Um, we started in 2008, and it was kind of a novel thing to do this on a freelance basis in the first place. Uh, normally, an excavating company will just hire, have somebody internally that'll do this kind of work. So it was a bit of a novel thing to kind of do this for more than one company. And um, uh, my, my dad was the, the primary operator of this business for about the first six years. Um, I, I came on full-time about two years ago, and... Um, when I joined the company, um, I was kind of thinking in the back of my mind that uh, that there might be some implication for e-commerce. Uh, prior to working with him, uh, I had operated a, a bookstore, uh, a Shopify store, I should say, that, that sold books that did pretty well. And um, I thought, man, I it'd be so cool to apply some of the learnings from that o- over to this deal. And um, it, it it took a while. It was funny. We actually set up a Shopify store and uh, didn't do anything with it for about six months. Like we just used it uh, as our website, and we're kind of going like, okay, there's got to be something that, that we could do. And uh, what we what we came up with eventually was that um, like we deliver we deliver these files to our clients and. Um, what had been happening is we would deliver a file and then it would you know, typically take around 30 days to get paid. And we were like, well, if we can just deliver the file and get paid immediately, we actually mm-hmm. get to move up 30 days on cash flow. So we, we started putting the files behind a pay, like the, um, the digital download app on Shopify. And uh, so it was essentially like, you know, you have to pay before you get the product from us. So instead of us delivering that product and sending an invoice, we're saying, 
okay, here's here's the digital download link, and uh, they they took to it no problem, um, and it it solved a, a huge a huge issue for us internally in terms of collecting payment and um, and again like you get like essentially a, an extra month's worth of of cash in the bank because instead of waiting another thirty days, you you move right up and you're getting it. Um, I mean, it gets remitted from Stripe within a week. So it was it was awesome, and it took a ton of stress out of out of that invoicing process. That's awesome. So you said a, a few different things that I want to uh, dive in a sure. little bit, just so, just so we have a better understanding of the customers that you guys serve. So I guess I try to walk through this based on what you said, and you can correct me where I might be mistaken. So there's a job that's uh, put out that someone needs to uh, can take up as a project, like an estimate, like an excavation project. But the, the companies that are going to bid on it need to get a better understanding of the costs that are involved. And that's, that's when right. you guys step in. Yeah, that's right. So so we would do um, like a like volume calculations. Um, so so they would send us like a survey of the existing site and then the the plans that the civil engineer has drawn up. And there would just be like like a differential. So it's like they're they're called uh, cut and fill volumes. So we would we would take what's there and we would take what's going in. So if it's like we're excavating for a parkade or a school or whatever. And we would figure out the differential between those two things. Sometimes you need to put fill onto the site. Sometimes you need to cut out of the site. Um, these projects are multi, like typically like multi-million dollar projects where if you get those calculations wrong, you can put your company out of business. So it's very important to get these calculations right. So once you have those calculations, you say, okay, I know it costs X and Y to do, uh, you know, a thousand cubic yards of cut or a thousand cubic yards of fill. And um, our clients are able to submit a very accurate bid on that project because of the calculations that we do for them. Mm, so this sounds like a, to me as an outsider, sounds like a lot of hands-on work though between you and the client. Is it as hands-on as uh, I'm imagining or is there a, because you're selling now basically uh, not necessarily a product, but it's definitely more productized, right? So is there an issue there with uh, a very custom experience it's at least that's what it sounds like versus a you know a productized version of it online so there are certain aspects of it that that are and certain certain that aren't so there's a certain there's a certain amount of objectivity to it in that it's like you've either done the calculations right or wrong like there's there's no there's not really any mm-hmm. subjectivity with with that um there are certain elements in terms of like um they there are things called labor and equipment rates where they might go, okay, my guy, I know that my guys can do this job a little bit faster, or I've got a dump site that's a little bit closer, or I have an in with a certain supplier. And so, yeah, there, there'd be a certain amount of subjectivity there. Um, but uh, in, our, in our experience of it, like a lot of that client interaction typically happens in the first couple months of like a new relationship. Then they then they develop some confidence in us, and it's sort of like off to the races after that. So it would be it would be more like demonstrating that we know what we're doing. Then once they kind of go, okay, they do know what they're doing, then that interaction diminishes r- rapidly as as we go. I see. So are they buying like a service from you where they they purchase it and then they continue to work with you afterwards to uh, get what they need, or are they buying a a product, a digital product from you, and then they kind of take off on their own and use it, and then that's all they need from you. So yeah, so every every time they have a new job come up, they'd essentially approach us about doing a calculation specific to that to that job. 
I don't know if that answers that. Okay, so they're you know they, they go to your Shopify site, they purchase one of the the services which is listed as a Shopify product, and then from there they you're like going to call them up or email them or something to get more information from them. Like, what is the kind oh, yeah. of experience? So what are the mechanics of it? Yeah, so it actually no, not quite like that actually. So so what, I guess maybe a typical arrangement would be um, you know we one of our existing clients would either call us or phone us and say. Hey, I want to bid this this school, right? They would send us the plans. We would do all the the calculations, right? Then we would put it into a zip file and put it into a like the digital download app on Shopify, right? Mm-hmm. And then we would set the price based on the hours that we put into that job, and then we would just send them the link, mm-hmm. and it would just be a quantity of one, right? Very cool. So then, so then they just download the files. Boom, we've got our money. They've got their files, and we don't have to worry about invoicing. So you're really using Shopify as like a legit, just like a shopping cart alone. Just here's the items that you you wanted to buy from us. We already practically put it together for you. All you have to do is use Shopify now to make payment on it, and then we'll deliver the the product. Exactly. Yeah. And and the problem that it solves is, you know, you don't have to chase somebody down after you've delivered the file. So it, I was I was kind of thinking about it before this interview and I, um, it, it's sort of like it almost feels a little bit like a hostage negotiation. It's like, OK, I've got your I have your files. You have my money. <laughs> How yeah. do we do this exchange in a way that's kind of, you know, um, where it's like when I give you the files, you're going to pay me. Right. You know, do you know what I mean? And I, that's a that's a big issue in 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 B two B in in every profession, right? Um, and so what what this solves is like well, a few things. It's like you you don't have to chase people down. You move up thirty days on cash flow, and then yeah, it's sort of like well, you know, just pay me and you'll get the file instantly, right? It's 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 a very it's a very elegant solution to what I think is like a pretty big problem. Uh, you know that I this is and this is for. So many professions, accountants, lawyers, it's, it's essentially the issue that, um, that Upwork um, solves mm-hmm. as well. But uh, they take a much larger percent than, than Shopify does off of your, off of your bills. Mm, yeah, I like it. I think um, I'm not sure if there's many other businesses that use it this Shopify this way, but it makes a lot of sense. And it probably feels the, this hostage situation that you're talking about, this awkwardness only comes about because it's not a typical experience or it's like a new way of doing it because, you know, when I go online Amazon, I don't expect to get my items for free and then they invoice me 30 days later for it, you know. So that experience is so natural already that it doesn't feel like a hostage situation. But Oh, oh sorry. In, in, in saying that, I, I was saying it's more like, more like that way without using Shopify, right? So no. it's like you've already submitted the work and then it's sort of like, hey, uh, well, I've gave you my work. Uh, is this invoice okay? <laughs> Whereas if you if you've kind of got it set up on that payment gateway, you're saying like, okay, here's here's what you owe me. The the files are ready, right? And and that's kind of like when you have the discussion immediately, and it, it I think it establishes an expectation where it's like, okay, like you're going to pay me, and as soon as you pay me, like that, those files will be delivered, and it's a, it's a very fair. I think it's a very fair process for both sides. So it's it, when I was saying like a hostage negotiation, I mean it from the standpoint of like Shopify is mm-hmm. sort of like the, the negotiating tool. 
right? No, no, definitely, definitely see what you're saying. Cool. So let's talk about the um the business itself and like how you guys as a family, I guess, got into it because like you're saying, it's a very niche business. Um, are there a lot of competitors in the space that have do you guys bump into other competition? Like how to what's the landscape like? Yeah, there's there's actually uh, quite a few companies in the U.S. In Canada, uh, we'd be the you know the only one that honestly we know of. Um, that's not that's not to say they aren't there, but uh, we don't kind of run into any competition like in our in our own markets. Um, in terms of how it got started, um, my my dad has been estimating for like 30, 35 years, and uh, about eight years ago, kind of had this idea to go out on his own. And it was in part because he'd heard of a few companies down in the U.S. And there are some kind of like in Australia and the U.K. That, that do this way. But he'd heard of, you know, basically this happening in other markets where excavating companies would uh, would essentially hire estimators out on, on a freelance basis. So he liked the idea and uh, found an, an, uh, like one client that was willing to give him um, some work. And um, it was sort of like. He got out there and word of mouth sort of took over and um, it was just kind of a, an immediate hit. Uh, it solved a, a huge need uh, in, in our own market. Uh, and that need was essentially that um, there there's like a really big company can afford to hire somebody full time to do this. Right. A really small company doesn't bid particularly complicated jobs. But what, where we found our niche was that. Uh, it, w- it were these companies that were bidding complicated jobs, but weren't big enough to hire, you know, to pay somebody one hundred fifty thousand dollars to, uh, you know, to, to bid all their work. And so there, there are these. There was like this, this kind of this great niche that immediately just kind of flocked to us when they when they found out about the service. So it's I guess since then it's sort of been about uh, managing demand and uh, trying to kind of make the admin process as uh, as seamless as possible so that we can kind of maximize our billable hours as we go. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone else out there that's selling any competitors that are doing what you're doing like online where you are uh, basically, I guess, using Shopify or any other platform? As like a, a payment processor for for their, or even to just have a presence online, is your competition doing that as well? I mean, we've looked and haven't been able to find any. So, so if it is, I would say, uh, yeah, it could, it could be out there, um, but not that I know of. Mm, makes sense. So, like you're saying before, that the typical, I guess, arrangement is that you would deliver the the end product, the estimation, and then uh, 30 days later, or whatever terms you have, uh, that's when the clients will pay you. So now you kind of flipped it around and said that hey, here the pro- the estimation is complete. Just make the payment, and then through the Shopify Digital Downloads app, you'll automatically get your estimation. So, because customers are used to doing it the other way, was that is that was that an issue? Like where now it's like they have to pay immediately rather than some kind of like net thirty or whatever other payment structure is possible? Yeah, it it took a bit of explanation. So it was sort of like, uh, yeah, there was a little bit like, uh, what am I doing? Well, like, and it wasn't so much that there was resistance to the idea. But it was like not really understanding what we were trying to do, right? Then, so it took a little bit of customer education with a couple of them. There were a few that got it right away, a few that, you know, took a little bit, and a few was like, okay, I should grab a coffee so I can walk you through this kind of thing. So, um, but once they understood what we were doing, it was sort of like, I think, just a general recognition that it was just fair to everybody. Like there was, there was no kind of surprise on their end, too, about like, what we were going to charge. Cause I think, 
you know, one thing that, that happens from time to time is that you do the work and then, you know, within a few days you submit an invoice and then they're looking at this invoice going like, whoa, what? seriously, like that's what you're charging me with this kind of situation. It's sort of like when you're, when you're about to do that transaction, you get another chance to talk about what the cost of something is, is going to be. And uh, so I think they recognize that there was a certain amount of benefit to them as well. And then also, um, you know, once they, once they learned how the thing worked, uh, I think they found it to be like a very convenient system too. So it's like, okay, so all I need to do is put in my information and uh, hit buy. And then I immediately get my files. Like it's, it's uh, so there was after kind of that initial customer education, it was beautiful. Awesome. Can you give us an idea of how I guess successful the business is? Like how much volume are you doing through the Shopify site? Yeah. So uh so online we would typically do uh thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars a month. And uh um yeah, the yeah, it's it's and that that would be pretty pretty consistent uh throughout the year. We we typically have a bit of a spike in spring, um, you know, where we might uh, go over twenty, twenty five thousand. And then obviously we, you know, like like any business, you you have uh you have an ebb where you know you're down to, to five or ten. But uh yeah, I mean at at the end of the year be our revenues would normally be be in the range of two hundred grand, give or take. Awesome. So I, I'm sure you don't have given any specifics about this, but I'd imagine, especially since you're selling digital content, that 15000 a month or 200000 a year, uh, a good chunk of that is going to be profit, right? Because oh, it's a yeah. digital product. It's not like you guys are reselling something that's you know $12,000 and you're making you know just $3,000 profit or something. I, I, absolutely, yeah. So, so there obviously there's the the stripe fee, like that's a, so that that was one thing that kind of hurt a little bit, right? So it's like you're going from kind of getting paid by a check where you don't have mm-hmm. that percentage come off. So, so yes, in a way, like in a way, it ate into our profits. It depends how you look at it. So, in a way that we had to pay that two point nine percent that we didn't have to before. Now, the flip side to it is like when we when we looked at it and went well. We can move up thirty days on cash flow, though. Like that's an extra fifteen thousand dollars that's that's in your bank, right? And then when we looked at the the invoices that didn't get paid from previous years and compared that against the processing mm. fee, it was like okay, so you know we we know that there's a certain amount of breakage that we're going to have, like certain amount of these things that aren't going to get paid for. If we do this and always get paid, that's easily going to offset that transaction cost. Yeah, and there's something psychological about this for the the buyer too, right? Because when you when you get something and when you have to pay money to get something, it's uh, the the benefit is like sitting on the other side of that payment, right? So once you pay it, you get it. When it comes the other way, where you get something, or you have it already in your possession, and then 30 days later you're expected to pay for it. There's a psychological kind of like friction there where you don't feel the benefits anymore because you already have it in your possession. So I think that that has a big, um, I guess, benefit on things like you're saying. I guess I mean they couldn't not pay for it and get it anyway in this situation, but I think that there's also that kind of psychological benefit for the buyer that they are getting an immediate benefit for something that they're paying for. And I think that that's um, kind of a, I guess, a qualitative thing that you can't really measure, but I think it does mean something to the customer. I, 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 com- I completely agree. And I think in addition to it, it's um, it like, a, you know, Shopify is such a slick system. Like, I think it makes us come across as looking 
like we we know what we're doing mm. kind of in addition to just generally trying to be professional but it's sort of like you know it definitely does not make you look like a fly-by-night organization when you have something like this uh set up and you're saying you know here's our really slick system you just pay us immediately and <laughs> and we're off to the races so yeah i, I agree I, you know i hadn't I hadn't thought of what you just said, but yeah, I'm sure that plays into it. And, uh, but then also, yeah, you, you, you look more professional and deliver mm-hmm. a very pleasant experience in addition to it. Right. Makes sense. I want to talk a little bit about cash flow because this wasn't exactly something that I thought would come up in this converse in, the, in our interview, but I think it's a topic that maybe isn't brought up enough because in the early days when you're just starting out for store, your number one focus is revenue. I want revenue, I want revenue. And then once you get revenue, you start realizing, okay, I need to be profitable. So I want to focus on profits and profits and profits. But then once you get to a bigger scale, like probably to where you guys are at, Cash flow, cash is the king, right? It's no longer about revenue, no longer about profits. Cash becomes the most important piece of it. So talk to us a little bit about how cash flow impacts your business, whether it means that, you know, what it was like when you had to wait 30 days before you got paid compared to now where you get paid immediately. What does it mean to have good cash flows? I guess the background on that is uh, I was first exposed to this concept in the in the Steve Jobs biography by Walter Isaacson. It, for anyone who's listening, it's like, just a super great book to read, I think, for anyone that's entrepreneurial. But one of the things that he said when when Steve Jobs took over Apple was that um, uh, the, the, there's that Apple was taking almost a year to turn over their entire inventory. And the way he described it in the book was like having you know computers and components and all that kind of stuff sitting in warehouses was sort of like having a uh, a huge bin of rotting fruit, like that stuff just degrades over time. And it is like hugely harmful because you're paying for warehousing. You've got all this money tied up in this stuff. And um, it's it's just kind of crazy. Uh, Jack Welch, the former CEO of GE was was mm-hmm. big on, on this sort of thing too. Like the whole idea being that instead of having your money tied up in stuff, Right, you essentially um, bring that all in and have your stuff sold. It's it's a simple concept, but it's extremely powerful. So so Jobs, when he took it over, he it went from taking like over a year to turn over their entire inventory to six days, wow. and that was actually the the interesting thing about that too is Tim Cook was the supply chain lead that kind of masterminded that process. And obviously, he was moved up to be CEO. So I think it speaks to the importance of like how like how much it matters to turn over your product, whether it's a product or service. Like that that stuff needs to be turned over immediately just because the the implications for, you know, freeing up, like basically keeping your business liquid are, are huge. So like you just think like so instead of having you know ten million, a hundred million, one hundred fifty million dollars tied up in in stuff that's essentially rotting, you've got one hundred fifty million dollars that's back into your business that you can start investing in in other proactive stuff. So like for us to free up an extra fifteen thousand dollars, that's like getting a fifteen thousand dollar interest free loan. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's like a great source of money. So then you go okay, so do we want to look at using that for advertising? Are there infrastructure upgrades that we want to do? Are there, you know, other examples would be, are there debts that you can pay off? Those are things that you can look at when you, um, when you have like such a great kind of cash flow, um, when you move up 30 days on cash flow in, in any business. Yeah. So, and just maybe to uh, drive this point home, like what are the dangers if you are, 
uh, not doing this where maybe you are to your suppliers, you're paying them on net 30 and then your customers are paying you on net 60. So now you have 30 days where you uh, basically already made payment on yourself, but are still waiting for payments. Like, what does that mean for a bit? Like, how is that dangerous for a business? Oh, yes. I mean, so, so then, you know, in, in theory, you just run out of money and when you run out of money, it's, it's game over. So if, yeah, if you've got all this money that's owed to you or all this money that's tied up in product and, uh, then all of a sudden you can't pay the bills, you can't pay yourself. Um, you know, yeah, then, then that, that's yeah. it. So it's, it's an extremely dangerous, it's an extremely dangerous uh, place to be. Um, Eric Reese, uh, wrote this really great book called The Lean Startup. He, he talks about, uh, he talks about this quite a bit too, but he, he's really big on, you know, in terms of managing cash flow, really big on kind of like testing an idea. So, for like, let's say hypothetically, you're starting a t-shirt business, you know, start by buying five and test the design, see if that works, and then start iterating from there. Um, but but really being diligent about not ever having excess, excess inventory. And then obviously, you know, if you're in the service business like us, like you got to make sure that you get paid. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I think negotiating the terms of how you get paid is really important. But I mean, to circle back to how we're doing it, like this is the best solution that we've found in terms of uh, getting paid immediately. Um, there's almost no way of getting paid sooner than net thirty, other than doing something like this. In, mm-hmm. in my opinion, when you're in the in the service business, uh, and I guess Upwork might be the other option, but the um, the percentage that they rake off, I, I believe they rake off up to ten percent off of your off of your billings. So yeah. Yeah. it's not not optimal, right? So is uh is, is this this idea of focusing on cash flows and optimizing it is this should this be a concern for uh, store owners and stores and companies and businesses of all sizes or does it is something you should be focused on more like later on when you are operating at a bigger scale? Oh, I, I think uh, right from the beginning, absolutely, and I think for for so many reasons, it's like one. I think it's like it benefits it benefits you regardless of the size, but it's it's almost like a discipline thing, right? It's sort of like uh, I'll quit smoking later, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like you know you should quit smoking now. <laughs> um, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think uh, you know it's sort of like a danger when you're when you're big. Uh, I think the danger when you're big is that you know you might actually have a lot of revenue coming in and, and not realize how much of your money is actually tied up in inventory. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of get caught like Apple did, you know, realizing, oh my gosh, we've got all this, we've got all this junk sitting around basically. And now we're in, in trouble. I mean, when, when jobs took over, that company was headed for, for bankruptcy. And this is one of the reasons that they identified as why they were in such deep trouble. That's a, at that point, that was a multi hundred million dollar business that was, you know, struggling with this. And then, yeah, I think when you're, when you're bootstrapping an operation too, it's like, you don't want to start out say with $10,000 and then all of a sudden have, you know, five grand tied up in mugs that people aren't buying. You know, that's, that's a huge, that's a huge issue too. So I think, yeah, taking that, taking that disciplined approach of going like, you know, no matter what I do, I just, I'm consistently going to, to monetize the product or service that I, that I have and get that money back in, back in the bank and just kind of keep that, keep that process going. 
Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, even if you have a product or a company that everybody wants a piece of uh, for profit, even even if it's profitable and you're generating a lot of revenue, if you don't have cash and you can't pay the people that are keeping your lights on, then like you're saying, it is game over uh, because that's the only thing that's really keeping you afloat, even if you have a, a legitimate product that people want. Uh, so do you think that there's anything uh, maybe from your experience as selling B2C or, or definitely your experience now with B2B? Um, that a company out there can do to improve their cash flow? Because, you know, obviously you guys made huge strides by going from net 30 down to an immediate, uh, well, practically immediate uh, payment. Uh, Is there anything that a store owner can look at to see where they can improve their cash flows? Yeah, I mean, so... I guess it really depends what what line of business that you're in. So from a from a B two C point of view, I mean, so yeah, yeah. I guess if we're talking about like um, some typical examples, like like T shirts and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. I think it would just be yeah, super helpful to to do um, to 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 look at your inventory and kind of like go, okay, what is what is like my current inventory worth? So you could count it two different ways. What it, one is what did I pay for it? The other is what am I selling it for? And do uh, and essentially do a tally and go, okay, well, so I've got like ten thousand dollars sitting in my home office, right? How do I how do I turn that into into money immediately? Mm. Um, I I think uh, yeah, like when you're in the when when you're in the service industry, um, when you're when it really is more of an established process to be paid net thirty. I mean, they're kind of two different issues. So the B, I think B to C a common issue would be having the cash flow issue would be stuff being tied up in, in a product, the B2B issue would be something tied up in a service, uh, sorry, uh, tied up in an invoice that gets paid later. Right. So with, with a B2B company, it would be like, uh, really negotiating the terms favorably for yourself. So, so obviously, uh, a company could, could do something like we do, which is, um, you know, doing a digital download and getting that payment right away. Another would be, uh, saying like, uh, okay, like, I, I want to be paid in two weeks. Another would be um, imposing financial penalties for going over thirty days. So, like, if uh, if your service, if the company you provided the service for is late on their invoice, then you you charge them punitive interest rates so that at least when you do get paid, um, if you've had to incur debt to keep yourself going, you you can pay off that that debt. That concept kind of makes sense. But um, but yeah, I think I think uh, on on the B two B level, it's negotiating terms. On the BDC level, it's uh, it's just inventory controls are majorly important. Mm, makes sense. So let's talk about B two B sales. I think that um, you probably have the best perspective on this uh, of any guests I've had so far. Yeah. Um, what is your sales cycle like? Describe it to us. Like, what's involved in getting somebody from the first point of contact with you all the way to you know making payment? I guess you give us an idea because I'm looking on your site right now, and we'll talk a little bit about the um, products that you have for sale that are you know right off, right off the shelf. Um, and these are you know not cheap products. At least one of them is not a cheap product, but for like an estimation like this can you give us an idea of like how much something like this would cost. So, so you mean in terms of like delivering an estimate for somebody? Yeah, yeah. So the uh, it, it, we would typically like it would typically be between, be between uh, one and two thousand dollars per estimate, and um, th- I mean that's that's a bit of a that's a bit of a ballpark number sure. in terms of the sales cycle. Um, it's it's uh it's probably the easiest thing that I've ever marketed in that it's sort of like as soon as you identify as we identify a company that kind of fits our profile, which is that 
that sweet spot between not being big enough to have a full-time estimator there, but like they're big enough that they're doing sort of like complicated projects. It's sort of like, it's like a phone call and saying, Hey, we're here. And it's like, Oh, great. Okay. I'll, I'll start sending you work. And so we get sent the files. We do the calculations. We, uh, put it on our site as a digital download as, as described. And then, um, we're kind of off to the races. So it's, uh, it's really, it's really about kind of like identifying companies out there that fit this profile more than anything. Like that would be, I guess, where the sales work happens. So um, we use uh, LinkedIn as a research tool. Uh, another thing we found effective is uh, going on Indeed.com and looking for companies that are advertising for civil estimators. Nice. <laughs> so and, and it's sort of like just reaching out to them saying, hey, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to hire somebody. We're here as a freelance option. So it's sort of like just generating awareness among that key demographic. And once they're aware that we're here, it's really easy after after the fact because the, the need to them is so obvious. So I'd imagine that you also get a lot of repeat business then because these are people oh, okay. that constantly need estimations, right? Yeah, like our, our, um, our top two to three customers uh, result in about 75% of our earnings. So yeah, it's all about repeat for us big wow. time. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you've mentioned Upwork a couple of times on this episode already. I'm wondering if it makes a lot of sense, if you can think of other freelance types of businesses that it might make sense to start selling your services or start advertising and listing your services on Shopify. To- totally. Yeah. Lawyers, accountants, uh, bookkeepers. Um, gosh, you could do this with landscaping, plumbing. Uh, virtually, I-, I would say it applies to to virtually any service, I, I would say where it's the most elegant is when you have uh, like a, a digital product that you're delivering on the other end. So mm-hmm. for, let's let's just use a hypothetical example. Like say you're a lawyer that specializes in wills. You do up the, the custom will for somebody and then you just put it behind your paywall and say, okay, you'll get your will, like your custom will when you paid me. Um, same with, uh, you know, like you could be, uh, you could specialize in doing business plans or, um, you know, I think anything kind of service related, uh, gr- a graphic designer would be another good example too. So you've done, you've done up a nice, uh, you know, visual identity for a company. You've got all these files. You could just say, okay, it's on my, it's on my website. Um, go ahead and down, you know, once you pay me, you'll, you'll get, you get those uh, vector files delivered to you instantly. So yeah. I, th- I think it has incredibly broad applications. Um, I, I, I almost say the question. So the question is like, what industries does this not apply to? And I think there are very few mm. in my, in my opinion. Can you think of any, or do you just you can barely think of any? It would be like, it'd be like when the scale is so large and the relationship is so, um, so like, like long standing that it just doesn't make sense. So like, just for instance, um, my mother-in-law works for uh, Irving Shipbuilding in uh, in Halifax, and uh, they they're building these like massive Arctic Patrol vessels. And one of their subcontractors is Lockheed Martin, and the you know the the money going back and forth would be hundreds of millions of dollars, right? And that just makes no sense. Right. <laughs> you know, like the process, just the credit card processing fee on that alone would be astronomical. And you know, of course. That, you know they have contracts involved and that sort of thing. It makes no sense. I feel um, like yeah, those scales too. It almost might turn the client off that you are yeah. sending them somewhere not personalized at that scale. Yeah, but 
But I would say, I would say on the other hand though, where it's, it's sort of like you're more of like a small business. It's like, uh, if you're, if you're in the service industry and you're delivering a digital product, I, I just think that this is like a really good option that kind of surprised me that, that, uh, I'm sure other people have thought of this, but I hadn't really seen it at all. Um, the, the kind of Shopify just seems to be so extensively used for, uh, for B2C, which is great. Um, but it's really what it's meant for, but money, a lot of money changes hands B2B. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a great option. Yeah. I know my, my friend, uh, Jonathan over at HeyCarson.com, they also do these things. He's like, they're basically like an agency for Shopify stores and he sells, like theme tweaks or like even monthly plans or uh, like a like a call like if you want to call and talk to an expert or something he sells that through Shopify as well as all services awesome. basically and to some degree some of them are there's no delivery at the end of it even but it seems to work for him and and I know the other people that are selling um, I interviewed a guy uh, pre- previously he runs a a site that basically sells just drum loops for musicians and he sells exclusively through Shopify too because like you're saying there's a digital download at the end of it there's a deliverable at the end of it. And uh, I think that definitely kind of makes the most sense uh, for for a business that wants to sell, uh, for a service that wants to sell online um, or through Shopify. Uh, So cool. So let's talk a little bit about the two main products that you have listed as, I guess, off the shelf, like things that they can buy that doesn't require much customization. So one, I think is just hilarious. One's priced at $34.99 and the other one's priced at $2,999. Yeah. Do, do people actually buy something that expensive online? Like um, the, no. The, <laughs> no, that's an experiment. <laughs> I'm actually feeling very self-conscious about it. Um, yeah. So with that, with so so one is a is a is a spreadsheet. So what the spreadsheet that you're talking about? That's like thirty five bucks. We've actually we probably sold about a thousand dollars worth of those. It's sort of like a nice little sidebar. Mm-hmm. Uh, we emailed out our, our contacts in British Columbia and just said. Uh, Hey, here, here are like some numbers you can use for uh, for a budget estimate. Uh, we seriously spent maybe half an hour putting that thing together, and um, you know, you think like, yeah, it's kind of made a thousand bucks in in half an hour. It was pretty nice. Um, so we we were a little bit emboldened by that because um, it wasn't really what we were using Shopify for. It was as described before, like more of like an invoicing billing kind of solution. So we we thought, okay, well. Why don't we try something else? So we um, we put up another database. It's called an HCSS database, and uh, essentially that database is something that would that would take about six months to set up on your own. Hmm. And so um, so we 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 were like we can't just sell this for like fifty bucks or something. So we we put we put a hefty price tag on it and uh, have had no bites on it. I can't say I'm super surprised, but. Uh, it's sort of like um, along the way we've we've tested a lot of different ideas about how we can kind of further monetize the store. So yeah, I feel like as when you are a freelancer or a, a service provider, you will be able to over time identify the kind of commonalities between all your clients, like things that they need specifically, and that's when you can start releasing more and more products. Rather than you know, obviously you still keep up the service end of your business, but the more products you have, the more kind of less trading time for for dollars you're doing and I think that you know we had a whole conversation earlier about uh, free up cash flow but you can also free up your time which is just uh, maybe even more valuable than, than having cash so I think you're on the right path by trying out these different kind of products and you know if someone did want to come along and, and, and was, was talking to you through the phone or email and saying they needed something like this you can go that through that same exercise of just sending them a link to hey you can just buy this through here 
you know, so I think it's um, setting you up for something, at least uh, in the future. It makes sense. So I want to talk a little bit about um, the kind of uh, key to sales for service uh, providers and freelancers, which is referrals. And you mentioned to me before the call that that uh, asking customers for referrals is a great way of drumming up business for yourself. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, What is your process like for asking for referrals from, from past uh, customers and clients? Yeah, really simple, actually. Uh, so, I, you know, obviously when... <laughs> In in in, a, in almost any industry, well, in every industry, I'll say I'll generalize like that. Um, the, the relationship is is just so key. So we've got a handful of companies that uh, that over the years we've just become very very tight with, and uh, you know they they respect us, and so it's sort of like having that conversation of um, like it's great over over a coffee or a meal or something like that, but just saying like uh, hey, you know. Is, it, it, you, do you do you know anybody that that you think might be interested in our service? And it's like kind of a hard question to ask because you're essentially in in, in some ways asking asking them to refer us on to their competitor. Um, uh, you know, the, the flip side to that though is that uh, every time we've asked, it's been like extremely effective. So it's sort of like getting over having that slightly different difficult conversation and just going like, do you know do you know any what anybody else that might be interested in in, in what we're doing? So so the in person thing, I think there's just no substitute for it. When you have a high impact uh, opportunity, I would say always try and have a face to face conversation. The other way that we've done this that has worked really well is actually sending out an email. So. Um, a couple of times we've sent out an email. We we have about uh, between 900 and 1,000 contacts on our email list. We just emailed everybody and kind of said, do you know anybody that would be interested in our service? And uh, that was an awesome lead generation tool. I, I like, again, just super simple. Um, very blunt and to the point. Uh, do you know other people who would you think like would, would, would need what we're doing? And uh, that, that worked great. I think that's a great idea. Did you also get people that were on that list who remember who you were? Say, oh, wait a second, I need the service as well. Did that happen yeah. too? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it totally did. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and so you know, I think it's sort of like uh, I think it builds this mentality of uh, your the people that you're talking to think of themselves as like an advocate for you. I think that's really important psychologically. Where they go, they're they're kind of putting themselves in your shoes in, in our shoes and saying like. Yeah, uh, who do I know? <laughs> who do I know from my network that would uh, that would benefit from from what these guys are doing? And so I think that I think that sort of like has a, a dual benefit of AA getting referrals, but then also they're thinking about you in a in a very kind of positive, proactive light, and they might just go, "Yeah, I'm actually like uh, somebody I should refer. <laughs> I should refer on to them." And uh, so it absolutely works that way, where you you start hearing from customers that maybe you haven't heard from in a few months, and. Uh, yeah, it, I, I think everybody should, like, referrals are just so great. Referrals and loyalty. Yeah, it's. I think it's one of those um, tenets in the uh, Dale Carnegie's uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People book where he says that if you want someone to like you, ask them to do you a favor, which seems a little backwards. Like, why would someone be like me more if I'd ask them to do something for me? But there's a whole psychology about why when you do ask someone, when someone comes to you and says, hey, I need your help, they feel like, oh, this person trusts me or trusts my opinion or trusts me to help them. And that automatically builds more of a bond between you and that person. So I'm not sure if that's the reason that they're saying that you're getting at, but I do think that you should be asking your, not necessarily asking them for help, but like, you know, depending on your past customers, past clients to help you grow your business. 
I think there are a couple things that happen there. So yeah, when you when you ask somebody for a favor, I completely agree with what you said and kind of your quote with with Dale Carnegie. And I, I think the other side to it is that uh, it shows a level of trust in the person mm-hmm. that matters a lot because you're being very vulnerable. Yeah. Like you're kind of saying, like I'm asking for your help, and that that does put you in a situation where they can really kind of like you know, they could kind of smack you upside the head if they want. Like it really hurts when you sit, when you ask for help and somebody turns you down and most people realize that. So, so it's like, wow, this person is being vulnerable with me. Uh, they obviously trust me, you know, um, that, that I feel good about that too, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm always a big uh, advocate of uh, store owners, business owners to be as real as possible, meaning don't sit on top of the, of a throne and say, hey, this is, you know, my kingdom and enter my kingdom and buy my stuff. You really want to be on the ground and be on the same kind of level with with your with your customers and your clients. So I think you're on the right track. So for the, to make this um, applicable to the B2C folks out there, um, how do you approach, like, what is like the call to action, I guess, when you send this email out to, well, no, before I go down that way, I just want to know, uh, when is the right time to ask for a referral? Like when is it right after you deliver the, the the goods they need, or like you know weeks after? Like when do you, when is the right time to ask somebody for a referral? You know, I, I I would actually say that yeah, that really kind of it's a great opportunity to think about segmentation because I think the question is uh, who do I see as potential advocates? And um, yeah, because I I'm just reading between the lines on, on your comment there, so it's sort of like. Yeah, I just bought something from you and now you're already asking me to refer you on to my friends. It's sort of like I think you can do that a little too soon. So, yeah, I I think, um, you know, I would say it probably boils down to instincts. Um, My suspicion, though, is that most people would probably be a little bit too conservative about who they ask. So they'd go. Okay, well, like I'll ask my like mm-hmm. uh, mom and dad and cousin for a referral, but I'm like too afraid to ask everybody else. I would say it's probably good to push the boundaries of who you think might be willing to help you. So maybe, maybe like kind of look through your list and go, I think these people would, you know, make like they look like they could be advocates for me. Maybe take it a step further, but then yeah, obviously think about. Think about maybe those handful of people where it might be too jarring to to do it yet, right? Mm, maybe yeah, wait yeah. a little bit while to wait a little bit for them. But uh, yeah, I would say you know urgency and being bold is probably you know the thing that you're going to want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would probably say um, you want to wait at least until they've gotten the value out of the thing that you've they've bought from you. Yeah. If they just if they just bought it and they've never haven't even used it. They haven't even gotten it yet, and you're asking for a referral. I don't think they would like for like a B two C product that's not as expensive as the stuff that you're selling. I don't think anybody would react um, negatively to it, but it might not be as effective. Because if I bought something and I got it and I loved it, and then a day later someone emailed me and asked me, "Oh, well, how'd you like your you know." shoes that you bought do you think any of your other friends would be interested and i'd be like yeah man because i'm really on this high of i love this product you know that's the best time for you to ask me to refer other people to you that's Um, yes great point actually yeah yeah definitely Cool. So um, maybe it's this last thing. I'm not. I'm not sure if this is um, something you've been doing for a while, but I saw on your site that you have an online community uh, tab or link as well, which is uh, using Slack. So tell us a little about this. Like, what is the what was the purpose behind this idea of creating an online community uh, oh. for your store? Yeah, I'm really happy you asked me about that. Actually, um, essentially, uh, it's about kind of nurturing relationships with existing people. So 
like there are all these really weird things that come up with when you're estimating stuff. Um, one example that I like to use this is from a colleague of mine, <laughs> but uh, he was telling me that he was doing uh, an estimate for a prison and he was looking at the plans and in the plans, there was this thing called a muffin muncher. And uh, he was like, what the heck is a muffin muncher? <laughs> so he's like looking around, looking around and finally, finally found out that it was actually, um, it was actually this thing that connects to a, a sanitary, which is, um, like poop and pee. And, uh, it essentially is like this crazy gnashing thing that, uh, grinds up whatever comes through it. Oof. And, um, the, the reason you put this sort of thing in a prison is that you actually have like stuff going through your sanitary that you wouldn't want to kind of get out, um, into the sewage treatment plant. So mm-hmm. it could be things like, like essentially contraband, right? Um, right. you can, you know, infer what that means, but, uh, but but it was sort of like this super obscure thing that he took for it took him forever to figure out, and um, they, it turned out that there was somebody deep in his network that had known about this. And uh, sort of what I was thinking of with Slack is I'm like going, well, there are all these people that kind of have these you know I guess obscure issues that come up. Wouldn't it be great to put together an online community where it's like, hey, I you know I need a bit of help, and because it, it's such a it's such a niche thing, right? Hey, I needed a bit of help. I've, I've run into this issue. Has anybody seen it before? And, um, you know, to me, it's about kind of like uh, being a central part of that conversation so that, you know, when you help somebody else out, they might think you down the road of like, oh, yeah, you know, I think I can refer them some business or, um, you know, I think maybe there's a way that that I can help them out. Like they did a favor for me. I'd like to do a, do a favor for them. So it's all about kind of like nurturing that, uh, nurturing that community, um, which I think is just a, a great, like long-term way of, of thinking about a business. Yeah. This is something that I've just come to realization too. And, and just for anybody out there that doesn't know about Slack, it's just basically a chat program where you can, um, I guess anybody can really join and be part of like the same chat room. I guess you can kind of think of it that way. Uh, definitely check it out. I think it has some cool features in it. Um, but I've only I've just started thinking about it this way too about creating a community. I've just started my own community too because if you really want people to latch on or be really absorbed or immersed into your brand's universe, there's no better way in my opinion, then to have a community around it. Because now a lot of times we, is me and you and anyone else has an email list, we're talking one direction. Not necessarily one direction, but we'll talk to one person. They might talk back to us. But all these people you're talking to have one major thing in common, which is the problem that you're solving or the products that you're selling or the lifestyle that you're putting out there. They all have something in common. Like why not be bring value into their lives by bringing them all together? And when you bring them all together, there's a ton of value with that being the person that brings them together because uh, they appreciate that, and which is, I think, what you're getting at. They appreciate the connections. Um, but then you get everybody talking about the particular the, the thing that they're all tied together about, and your product, your brand, your company all becomes much more top of mind, and it becomes like a natural extension of the community. So I'm just saying all this because I think community is definitely the one of the keys, I think, to having a sustainable business with repeat buyers because they're going to stick around for much, much longer than somebody that doesn't belong to a community. I, I completely agree. And I, I, just to add to that too, I actually find that it makes, um, make things so much more lively and enriching as well. Right. Where it's like, 
you, you know, you can kind of sit behind your screen and get a little lonely <laughs> no. and, uh, and then, and that's sort of like, okay, um, you know, you feel like a little bit more, uh, sense of purpose and that you're putting a little bit of like good and light into the world. And, um, you know, even if, even if there are relationships over Slack, it's, it's just kind of like, it is, if you're a relational person, I think it's a great way to kind of grow your business, but then also like, you know, just doing it for altruism and doing it because it, it, it makes your day nicer. I think that that matters a lot too. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've learned, I've been emailing my, my email list for a couple of years now, but I just started my own, my own group, my own community. And I've probably learned just as much as one of the last couple of weeks, just by being in that community because the other people in the community are going to help generate discussions. It's not just you. And when the jet discussions start happening, you get to hear a lot more about the pains and problems that your customers have. And that, that kind of information is golden when you want to go back and decide what kind of products to sell next, what kind of services to sell next, how to talk to them on your website. These are all kind of great things that come organically out of having a community. Cool. So, um, tell us, uh, you know, what's in store for, for the remainder of this year? What are, you know, you're testing a bunch of different things. What are the kind of big goals that you want to achieve, um, for 2016? Honestly, for us, it's, it's sort of like, uh, continuing, continuing to refine the process. So, um, uh, basically maximizing the amount of, of billable hours that we, we get in a day. Um, so that like for us, it's, keeping, keeping the admin side of it, uh, ex- extremely lean, um, over the course of, over the course of this year, in terms of a goal related to the site, uh, I'm hoping to build up a little bit more organic traffic, uh, did a little, done a little bit with, uh, search engine optimization and we've had some, um, we, we've gotten some leads through search, which is kind of like a, like a new thing. Historically, we've had to go out and find them. Um, and, uh, I, I think with, uh, the, you know, how powerful Shopify is with, with SEO, um, we, we've noticed that, yeah, we've, our ranking in Google has continually improved over the years. Um, I've done a bit of blogging that seems to have improved it as well. So, uh, so yeah, I guess it would be the, the simultaneous thing of like, you know, maximizing the time that we spend, uh, basically billing out our time and then um yeah hopefully having a, a product or a, a site that indexes well and we kind of get those leads of people that we we would never think to find awesome so again civilestimator.com is the website uh thanks so much for coming on jeff i'm not, i bet no one out here out there is listening that actually needs your services but if they want to follow along and see what you've been doing if anyone out there is thinking about uh selling services online i think you i think you know jeff is probably one of the uh definitely check out his site i think it's uh, set up in a, in a great way to 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 demonstrate that anywhere else that you uh, think the listeners should check out they want to follow along with what you're up to oh hey look i i was actually just gonna say is like if if you if you do have a service uh business and want to contact me through the contact form like i'm the one who gets those emails i'd I'd be more than happy to uh like give you my opinion on on certain things so um yeah i it doesn't matter to me obviously if you don't have an excavating company i'm sure you're right (laughs) Um, but, uh, if, if you are in the service industry and listening to this and would like to pick my brain a bit, go hop on the site and uh, shoot me an email. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thanks, Felix. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com for a free 14-day trial.